What's up, everybody? This is your host, Rick. And your other host, Ryan. And, Ryan, it's summertime. I rode my bike in the morning before 7 a.m. this week, well, this past week, and I didn't wear arm warmers or leg warmers. That's how you officially know that it is summertime in Wisconsin. That's true, but even during the summer, the the mornings are cold. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a little chilly. So, it's, like, it, it, it'll be 90, 95 degrees by 2 or 3 o'clock. But it's still 50 in the morning. Yeah, to like all, all of our, our California and Florida and warm place friends that I see putting on like vests when it's 60 degrees. With 60 in here, if, if once it gets to 35, <laughs> people are like, oh my gosh, I'm going out in just my my jersey and bibs. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. February is like a funny month where, yeah, it just ticks over like even 25 people will go out and they'll be like, I'm just going to wear like a jacket and some gloves. Which isn't a good idea. I still like to bundle up pretty good in the winter. But I think, you know, you, you usually skip skip some layers. You're kind of a warm, warm-blooded warm uh, cyclist, you could say. Well, there's two parts to that. Okay. Uh, first off, uh, when I go outside, I think it's a lot warmer than it really is. Multiple times this year, I've gone out and ended up freezing my ass off. <laughs> I think I've been uh, with you a couple times and that's happened. Yep, yep. There was one day where I was like, no, don't need a... Uh, and you know, you know what the thing is, is... You leave at 2, and you get back at 4 or 5. Well, the sun's already setting. Yeah, when the sun's already setting, the difference between in those two hours will be 10 to 15 degrees. So you go out where you're like, oh, it's there's like no wind. You know, maybe you went out before to your car or something, or you went to the store, and you're like just walking around. You're like, oh, this is great. It's yeah. great. I'm going to go for a bike ride. Don't need a jacket. Don't need gloves. We're good. Nope. Well, two hours, three hours later... Turns out you really needed a jacket and gloves. Yeah, I've turned into like the biggest baby where even when it's like relatively nice out, I always pack like maybe a really thin like rain jacket. And I did that this my, weekend. Yeah. I overdid it and I ended up just sweating <laughs> the entire ride because yeah, I thought it was going to be dark gray and like cold. We went riding this weekend and the weather ended up being way nicer than it, it was said supposed no to. sun. I think the only time I've ever ridden with you and you've had a thermal jacket on and it was like... It said like 50 or 55 degree oh, like it, high. It got over 60 for it sure. It got like 65 yeah. and then the sun came out and like all day it said no sun today. It's not going to be good out. But no, it was nice. But yeah, we don't have to dwell on the weather too much because we're pretty psyched that... I guess yeah. Once June rolls around, it's it's pretty hot in Wisconsin, so yeah, the yeah. real the real uh, summer riding mm-hmm. and racing will start. But we've been racing our bikes. We have. Yeah, we've been racing a little bit. Yeah, Bike Race Weekly has a dub already. That's right. We talked mm-hmm. about your win last week, um, and let's see. I I raced my bike this last weekend. I uh, did a short road race, about a thirty-five mile road race, and. Uh, you're going to race your bike tomorrow. Tomorrow, correct? yep. I was supposed to race on Sunday. Uh, it was downpouring, so I decided not to. But there is a weekly crit at the same place that was on Sunday, and it's like 10 bucks. That's the Madison Speedway, I believe. Madison right? Speedway. Madison Speedway, Madison, yep. Wisconsin. So um, I decided to do that instead. Nice. Half the price. I, you know, it's, it's a 50-minute race, and they only do A-B. So B's are typically like women's, maybe if maybe fours, uh, fives, maybe a little bit newer people, uh, and then they do A's, A, A and B. A's are like one, two, three, and then women's like one, you know. Yeah, so it splits it up. I mean, pretty good because not not a ton of people are usually show up to the mm-hmm. to the uh, 
the race, like the weekly crit, not enough to really give like a USA cycling category. No, it's one, it's, two, three. It's or, USA. Uh, oh no, I mean it's just not oh, enough okay. like to like do that that kind of categorization. But it is yeah, yeah. it is a USA cycling uh, affiliated? regulated yeah, affiliated regulated event. Affiliated. Yeah, that's yeah. starting to become popular with weekly crits. It is. You know, I've even been on the USA cycling website and I've seen a couple like group rides and and like charity rides that are USA cycling associated just because they get some of the benefits like ride insurance That's and huge. it's uh it's kind of like setting up the registration infrastructure too so a lot of these um you know organizations like it kind of does the legwork for them they don't have to go to build a website and mm-hmm. make sure to like collect money through some kind of payment portal they just do it all through USA cycling yeah, that's a huge benefit. Yeah, we're gonna talk about uh, the weekly crit though. Yeah, so a little bit of tactics. You're you're racing it tomorrow. I unfortunately am not gonna be able to race it yeah. tomorrow. But so my question for you, we'll get to this later. We're gonna jump into our first topic. Okay, which so is a little bit more pro. That was like a reverse segue because yeah. you like stopped, I to, you I like to stopped s- my segue and you just bluntly took us to another topic. But well, it's fine. I meant to say, hey, that's what we got coming. <laughs> well, we're keeping everybody guessing. Yeah. So okay. guess what? That's what we got coming, guys. Stick with us for the next 30 or 40 minutes because we're running low on uh, hosting. <laughs> yeah, we might be talking real fast this hour <laughs> or 35 minutes. Who knows? <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the big races happened in America's backyard, not our backyard, Tour of California. Arguably the biggest race in America. It's the only world tour stage race in America, world tour race period in America, mm-hmm. and it happens now for the last couple of years in May. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's good time. It is. If they would have waited until June or July, it would be just crazy hot. Well, it used to be in February, and it used to be kind of like a pre-season race, so you'd get a lot of teams coming over that weren't really fit, and they kind of use it as like a tune-up, but now it's in May, and you get a lot of teams come here, and it's like kind of a tune-up for a lot of the tour stars, so... Um, for example, you had, uh, let's see, Sky brought a lot of, maybe not their, their numero uno, Chris Froome, because he was racing the Giro, but they brought a lot of their helpers and their workers to kind of get some good racing in their legs. Um, Egan Bernal, the, the race? Colombian 21-year-old superstar, uh, took all the stages by storm, pretty much. I mean, there was maybe only a couple flat days where he wasn't doing anything. I, I think I'm, he won two stages. I'm calling it right now. That dude's gonna win either the Giro or the Tour. Yeah, if he can stay healthy and uh, he's only like twenty-one. Yeah, he's really young. Give him five years. He just needs some time to develop. I mean, it's it's hard to even say that because, you know, this is not an easy race to win. You've got almost every American that shows up to the race. This is like this their, is the proving ground this, this for American. Yeah, racers. this is their season, right? They want to win. Yeah. They want to win this they race. Peak this. Yeah. So yeah, it was really exciting race. Um, Egan Bernal, I believe, won two stages. I think the last stage of the Tour of California was uh, really interesting, really pivotal. So the day before, the stage before was a time trial where TJ Van Garderen won the time trial and took the leader's jersey. He had about a minute gap on Egan Bernal, who is not no, not known as a time trialist. You know, he, he's the Colombian national time trial champion. But when you come from a place where everyone's really skinny and tiny, and yeah, such it's a, not huge. He is. As you don't well. have anyone racing above 160 pounds out there. Yeah, so he, he's you know he's a good time trialist, but he's not a time trialist. So yeah. he's a climber. Even their sprinters only weigh 150 pounds. Yeah, so it was really interesting. 
Um, it ended up being kind of a, a, a boxing match between Team Sky and Team BMC, which mm-hmm. is uh, who TJ, TJ was riding on. And eventually, you know, Sky had some stronger guys. They were able to really whittle down the field. And they got it to where um, Teo Gegenhart, who was also a rider on Sky, he was pretty high on GC. And they kind of did this one-two move where Teo kind of put in an attack, went off the front. Uh, they made TJ chase it down, and right when he reeled it in, Egan just attacked, and he put a huge gap on TJ, took the overall, and won the Tour of California. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts on TJ Van Garderen? He used to be that's the, like a, that's like a the glory child of the of American racing. Yeah, it's like a, almost like a controversial topic, because he was, he was always heralded as like the next uh, Lance Armstrong, yeah. the next big stage racing hope. Um, I think it was, I don't know, maybe a little bit unfair. I think when you're young and when nobody really knows exactly who you are, uh, you go into a lot of races and even the tour, you know, you just don't really have that expectation. So nobody's really watching you. You know, you you get a little bit more maybe rope to play with. Whereas, you know, I think when you start to get older and you start to kind of move into that like team leader role, I think the pressure is really hard to handle for a Mm -hmm. lot of people. I think he's gonna. I think he's actually gonna struggle to find a new contract because BMC is done at the end of the year unless they can find another sponsor. Yeah. And at this point, he doesn't really have much that says, "Hey, you you need me for this big money amount." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has a couple stage wins. He has. Uh, I mean, he has actually won the Tour of California before. So he that was actually probably his last big GC win. He's got some some good accolades, but he's definitely not going to get signed as a team leader or, you know... He may have peaked when he... I believe he took fifth place in the tour. Uh, he was, yeah, he was definitely yeah. top ten. He yeah. might have... That, that might have been his peak because uh, I know he got injured last year, I believe. I want to say that. Um, Maybe he got sick or something. He, I know he rode the Vuelta, and okay. he was actually in a really good spot to do well in the Vuelta. He was really high on GC, and he actually, if I remember correctly, he had some kind of crash or mishap going up a climb. Like, he clipped something on the side of the road, or just got... Oh, you know what? Was it him who crashed out of the tour when they were going down that hill, and he he literally went off hill and flipped over his oh, bars? No, that was his teammate. That was Richie Port. Oh, same, Richie Same Port. team. Yeah. Same, yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, they're very, they're pretty hard to distinguish. That was another thing, yeah. Richie Port is definitely a much much better GC rider than him. Same same thing, thing though. Port is, Port is really good, but he just doesn't do that well when there's a lot of pressure on him, mm-hmm. when he's on that leadership role. I think, I, I had high hopes for Richie Port. Much higher than TJ. I, I like him. I like the Australians, and I like yeah. the you know when they when they come over. It's you know it's such a European sport, and which is you know why we usually don't talk about European racing that much. But it's just kind of cool when you see people come out of that element and do well because it's kind of like yeah, it's just it's just a weird thing to yeah. see. It's very hard. You Australia know? is definitely what the United States could be in bike racing because they are oh, yeah. a spitting image of us. Mm-hmm. They're nowhere near Europe. They're probably farther than Europe, mm-hmm. but they have a really good infrastructure for bike racing and just biking in general. Yeah, road cycling is huge in Australia. Yeah, I mean, crit racing. If you want to if you want to race a crit, I mean there's not only can you do it on the weeknight, you know, they have their local weeknight circuit. I mean there's multiple usually multiple nights a week where there's some kind of weeknight crit going on. 
And yeah, you get some really good crit racers. I remember, uh, well, you should remember because you were working um, Toad that year in 2015. They sent a team of three guys from Budget Forklift. Budget Forklift. Yeah, which was kind of a continental, of continental Australian team. Yeah, the next year... Um uh, I forgot his last name, but Jack, Jack, Jack Bobridge. Bobridge, yes. Yep. He went yep. on to race for Trek Segafredo, and then he was also the Australian road champion. That's right. He was like, I think he did something crazy like 80K solo. I think it was 120. Oh, my God. It was, it was, it was almost from the gun. Yeah, it was like, that's everybody let him go, and he just, I mean, it was unbelievable. Just, yeah. Crazy time trialist. I mean, crazy engine. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You know what I love, too, is uh, Caleb Ewan. Mm-hmm. Wins does still does the national crit championship. Yeah, and like wins it every year. Yeah, crit, crit racing is like, you know, still a really big thing in Australia. Um, they have the Bay Crits. They have, uh, you know, really like big races where you know they really respect those those uh, you know short, you know, um, circuits and uh, they're big they're big deals uh, for the riders around there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, in, in California, we saw some really interesting team tactics deployed by Sky, and that's probably a, a pretty decent segue into some of our own tactics that we employ as amateur bike racers. Yeah, so we want to talk about tactics, Yes. but we want to talk about amateur tactics because we feel that tactics on different levels are very different. Yeah, I think if you go to most cycling media outlets and you read anything on bike racing tactics there's always there's very basic tactics but anything regarding team tactics it's kind of like preaching the nfl Mm -hmm. playbook of a team to your local high school football team yeah it just it doesn't always translate you Mm -hmm. know like some tactics are really hard to employ yeah i'll give you a great example so this weekend at the race um that i raced so it was a road race um we had three guys in the race and you know we did the classic attack attack try to get some guys in the breakaway and obviously you don't you don't chase down teammates in the breakaway which lets everybody else sit on but towards the end we had a a pretty good sprinter and i thought okay pretty flat finish i'm not that fast on just like a straight up drag race so i thought i'd try to lead him out and get him in a good position to kind of get the final bunch kick right so that was the goal but i mean it got botched pretty pretty bad, um, just because in you know in amateur bike racing in in a higher level race it's always going to be a fast finish right fast up until the last you know foot before the the finish line but in our race it actually slowed down to like an easy soft pedal probably two hundred meters to go nobody wanted to go so I just went and I don't have big enough motor to hold that so I went way too early completely botch our lead out so our guy didn't do that well it's probably my fault but (laughs) that's my point though I think um that's one of the things I think that amateurs I don't think people should really do lead outs in amateur racing yeah you know the one the big thing I've noticed is Mm -hmm. in amateur racing people don't race as teams yeah that's even if you're on a team like and especially if you have a team I mean how often do you have more than three maybe four people yeah and you know each one of those people are typically paying the 30 35 bucks sometimes to race themselves their their mindset is not i'm gonna pay for my own race but then work to allow someone else else to win yeah that's my point exactly so let's someone that you don't really even know right even if you know them too 
you know, you get four people together, which means that, and they say at the beginning of the race, okay, we're going to lead out so-and-so. So the plan is everybody pays the same entrance fee, and three guys, you know, you know, four guys are at the race, they've never practiced a lead out before, and they get together and they think, okay, we're just going to give this beautiful, like, four-man lead out. And, you know, three of them end up wasting their money. And if you're like me, you mess the lead out up, like, in the last, uh, you know, 100, 200 meters to the finish line. And then four people just wasted their money doing the bike race. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and then, that's how it goes. Yeah, so people so, don't really want to work for each other because their their money is online. Which I think is, you know, that's understandable. I, I get it, too. You know, it, it's... Tactics can be employed again between teammates but I think they have to just be kept really simple Very I think simple. I think at the end of the day you have to race in a way where it gives every especially at the amateur level no matter what tactic that you're trying to employ it gives everybody a shot at winning yeah you like know? saying okay someone is always gonna go for a breakaway yeah so you have a rider that they're the weakest sprinter and their job is to get in the breakaway yeah, and that, and you know what? That person's probably okay with that because if they don't get in the breakaway, they're not going to win the race anyways. Yeah, and then if you do, if you do have uh, four riders, mm-hmm. and you're constantly sending people on breakaways, yep, that's pushing the race to go faster, tiring out everyone else, mm-hmm. and then typically, eventually, which is kind of onto my next point, is people just look at each other because nobody else yeah. is going to be like. I don't want to burn a match. Exactly. So you have maybe one or two breakaway riders, and then you maybe have a rider that he takes the flyer. Takes one, the flyer. One or two laps to go, right? It's the Hail Mary. Yeah. It's the, you know, if if nobody's willing to chase, that guy's going to win the race, mm-hmm. right? Um, which puts your teammates in a great position again. It also gives that guy the, the ability to win the race. So let's say that doesn't work. Well, you've still got one, maybe two guys in the field that can sprint, you know? As opposed to using all those people to give a possibly feasible lead out that might work and might not work, or you give everybody a chance mm-hmm. to win kind of on their own ground. Yeah. Um, yeah and that creates a lead out too, because if you yeah. send someone on a flyer, someone else it's, it's is going to go yeah. after them, you're, you're and all make, of a sudden that's your lead out guy, and he's not even on your team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I So I think that's kind of... The best way to to do most amateur races it gets it gets a little trickier i guess the faster you get so you know those are i think general tactics for maybe like a cat three race and down maybe even like a local one two race mm-hmm. or one two three race where when there's not you're not really racing with teams no not really even yeah. if i mean there there's teams in the race but same thing you know um some teams can deliver a beautiful lead out at that level but you know, you've got to have, like I said, you've got to have four guys that are really fit and that yeah. can, like, um, just put the entire field behind them and, you know, get on the front. I remember listening to, uh, it was a Trainer Road podcast, and it was the Cliff Bar team. It was, I think, maybe even two years ago. They do a podcast with them every year, and they were talking about how they don't really do leadouts because if your leadout is slower than the other team's leadout, you're going backwards. You know, like you're literally dropping your whole team yeah. through the field. So even at the even at the top top pro level, um, you know, general lead out sprint trains, those kind of like advanced tactics, they don't always work. Yeah, and uh, we'll segue into the next topic: uh, local weekly races versus local group rides. 
Yeah. One you pay for, one you don't. One One's you, a race, one isn't. One has tactics, the, the other, other actually does too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so here's my preference is I think there's definitely a different atmosphere. When you show up, you pay... I mean, for a weekly race, usually it's only $10, $15. Sometimes you can find $5 ones. You know, there's not going to be as many people, but, you know, you still get some pretty good racers if you race on the higher levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tomorrow I'm racing A's. You know, that's, you know, one to three, maybe a few fours in there. Yeah. And I'm sure there's going to be some pretty good racers there that are going to push the pace. And I think when you throw a number on, you put $10 on the line, I think the dynamics of it are just going to be different than a group ride that you just show up for. And there's, you're just, you're either there to kind of get a workout in or you're there to, you know, think you think it's a race, but it's really not. But you're there, you're there just to fill the pack pretty much. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. and there's always kind of that, even no matter what you want to think about it, there's always that a little bit of a disconnect where you don't have anything on the line. And I think that's the difference is a race you always have at least that $10 on the line in your pride. Mm-hmm. A group ride, you I mean, how easy is it to say I was just I did a hard workout yesterday, wasn't going to going to sit in, just going to hang know? out. Yeah. So, what you're I guess what you're doing tomorrow is almost like a mix between the two because yeah. there's actually there's no like let's say USA cycling points on the line. No. No, there's really not like a podium or any like prizes given out. Yeah, there's I, I believe there's they do like a merchandise. Oh, that's Maybe, actually that's I mean, cool. I'm guessing like a water bottle or yeah, something. Yeah, some, some. Well, so how does that change the way that you would approach a race like that? You know, where it's primarily what you're getting out of it is a workout, but I'm, it's still a race. Yeah, you know, I focus more on kind of what we were talking about before is tactics and my like technique so cornering uh watching people uh i think it's also a good place to test things out you know where should i you know go on a breakaway when you know who should i be watching what are people's mannerisms what works what doesn't work you know so there's still something you're still essentially trying to win but you're trying to win in different ways yeah i agree that makes sense you know, something where if you showed up to a weekend race with more people, you know, you want to take what you learned from these smaller races essentially and apply it later. So would you race less conservative tomorrow then? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. you're, you've, you've got a pretty good kick. So you, maybe you're going to try to do get in the mm-hmm. break. You're going to try. Yeah. To, I mean, usually I don't go for a break, but tomorrow I'm kind of planning on going for a break and trying out different things of how do you get into a breakaway? I think you could even get back into if you get dropped. Like, yeah, I, like if you if you're off the back, I'm pretty sure they just like mm-hmm. you can just slot back in. So mm-hmm. like if it doesn't work, just yeah, you know, get back on. Or you know, too, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some good racers there. How do you compare against the higher level racers right. in a race that's not so? Uh, it's 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 not as serious. It's good to learn, right? It's, yeah. When you race against people that are stronger than you, you kind of learn what you can and what you can't do with those people. For example, yeah, like. What we just mentioned, you're a really good sprinter, right? So you can probably go to the line with a lot of those guys, but you'll find out like, can you roll a break with them? You know, yeah. can you yeah. can you initiate the break? Or how much you, fitter are they? Yeah, exactly. Like, can you go alone? Can you do you need like three guys? Do you need four guys? Do you need two guys? Mm-hmm. So I think that's yeah, it's really interesting. I'm a big proponent, per, excuse me, proponent of racing because I think it's every race that you do is a learning experience. You know, if I were, if I had somebody 
like theoretically, and if I was some kind of cycling coach and I had somebody starting to ride and starting to get into racing, I think I just instead of focusing on training, I'd want that person to just do as many races as they could and just get take something away from every race that they do. Yeah, whether that's... whether it's learning just to ride in the pack, whether it's learning how to get into the breakaway, how to field sprint. You know, like bike racing is this super complex sport, mm-hmm. and you know like everybody always says the strongest person usually doesn't win it's the person that just is has a dialed and they're they're uh they're racing really intuitively yeah and i think it's good to go on group rides you know it's a it's a very similar race fitness type thing where you have to be in a pack you have to go at a higher pace but it doesn't give you that shoulder to shoulder everyone's trying to win how do I do? How do I win? It kind of just makes you more comfortable yeah. riding in a group. Pack it's pack riding skills. Yeah, but I think yeah, and specifically it's pack riding skills when you're on the edge. Like yeah, if you're if it's a hard group ride, you know you're taking really hard pulls. How do you pull off and then slot mm-hmm. back into the pace line, recover without being herky jerky and like you know messing up the rhythm of the group? Yeah, because typically people don't go on breakaways in a group ride unless it's a the same course every single time where uh-huh. most group rides there you show up and they say yeah we're gonna go north today you know yeah as, as sometimes there's like really aggressive group rides and yeah there's, and usually there's some kind of racing dynamic there but yeah I agree. I agree they'll they'll say oh this is kind of the path we're going yeah but if you get dropped you know kind of make your own path i've been on quite a few of those where we'll hold 23 miles per hour mm-hmm. but if you get dropped it's kind of like well kind of just figure out figure out how to get back funny story actually a couple of years ago i think you know this ryan you know where i'm going uh you went you and i were on the same group ride and it was a ride that i i had done a couple times before so i knew the route and there was a, a pretty strong team there and you and some other guy decided to just hammer off the front and just riding away from everybody and you stayed out front pretty long too it was actually it's we, pretty, yeah. pretty impressive because we, were, we honest, were trying to chase you down i was I think that might have been the most push to my limit where I was like, I can't believe I'm still doing this. Like on the edge. Yeah, I was yeah. for, I think we were in a breakaway for a solid like 20 minutes or so. It had to have been at least, yeah, yeah, actually, I think, it, solid I think it was about 20, time. it was it was about 20 minutes because I, exa- I remember exactly where and I was, you guys, I read, I was, a, I think like 185 uh, beats per minute for a solid 10 at least 10 15 minutes of those 20 yeah because i and i remember it was about 10 or you know mm-hmm. 15 maybe 20 minutes because right at the certain point you guys just kept going straight where we all took a right turn and yeah just kept going uh you know and that's completely the thing about, peeled off the route <laughs> and that was the thing about the group ride was you know as soon as like the pace went just a little higher than what everyone's used to we did I, we didn't even try yeah. we literally just rode off the front when we went up a hill yeah and then uh, the, I asked the guy, do you know where you're going? And the guy said, yeah, I know where we're going. He did not know where he was Didn't going. Didn't know where he was going. No, nope. He was lost. We, we, we looked back, and we were like, nobody's chasing us. Nobody's there. What did you guys do for the rest of the ride? Uh, we rode together. He wasn't nice. He was. I know he was a cat one or two. Yeah. Um, but, we, I mean, we were together for like an hour and a half. Really, and the dude just really didn't want anything to do with me. Like, I would try to like start a conversation, like, so you know, whatever. Do you remember his name? 
Uh, you I say, call him out? I don't know. This I jerk. Remember. I remember I'm he was kidding. he was a collegiate racer, and he okay. went. To, but he went to school in like Virginia or something. Oh wow. Uh, he was good. I remember. Eh, he was all right. I remember seeing him at Toad off the back in the P one twos. Okay. So, so he he raced P one two, but he got dropped every day. Hmm, okay. You know, I see that at Toad a lot because, um, and a lot of the bigger races too. You get a lot of your local Cat 1, Cat 2s that they go to, like, the next level, which are national level races, and you see people... It's almost, like, really discouraging, because it's the people that, like, smash you and your friends on a regular basis, and you see them getting dropped by a, a pro field, and you kind of think to yourself, wow, how much harder would I have gotten dropped in that same field? But it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, and then... Uh Classic DI two issue. His battery oh, died, yeah, so he was battery stuck. Died. I don't. I think he might have been in a bad mood because he was stuck in his like fifty three, like twelve or fourteen. I just don't know how people let their DI two batteries die. You know, I, I think I, I'd be so anal about it. You I know, am so against electronic it. shifting. Really, ridiculously against it. Seriously, just well, working you, at a bike shop. Yeah, you worked on a lot of them. If you bring in DI two. It's basically just just buy some new stuff because it's going to cost you a grand anyways to for me to ship it to Shimano for them to fix. Yeah, some people got the money though. They they yeah. like the I like so the it's only- not better than mechanical. Sure, it's got like cool things like you can. Uh, I mean, you can like adjust how it shifts from your phone. Yeah, but I mean, if it shifts, it shifts. I just like that it makes robot noises That's when you true. shift. That's honestly the only mm-hmm. thing I like about it. I I could put like some kind of beeper by my my wire mechanical derailleur and I'd probably be just as happy. Yeah. I mean yeah, I, I think I think electronic shifting is just overkill for something that's doesn't need to be, you know, why reconstruct the wheel. Right. You probably had to read a lot of like books and stuff to learn how to work about oh, work the, on that stuff. The which oh. which is a good segue into <laughs> Books that we like. <laughs> Good segue. Good segue. Because I was about to rant on that, and we weren't going to be done we, any sooner. We, we don't need to hear how much you hate DIC anymore. <laughs> I'm sure some of our listener, listeners own and love it. All right. Yeah. So, cycling books. I've read a lot. I've read a lot. What's it? You got one you wanted to specifically talk about. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So, we can give a, little, a couple of our, our personal favorites. Currently, I'm reading The American Pro by Jamie Smith. I actually saw the book on I think it was it was Amazon, yeah, and I pre-ordered it. So I got it yesterday, which should be one of the first couple hundred copies, thousand copies, I don't know how many they sold. Uh but it's a pretty new book. It's a really cool book because it was written by a team Swanier. I think he said that he had a Swanier-esque position. I believe it's a, a he that wrote the book, but it was really neat because it followed around uh, what started as a really low-level local elite uh, cycling team. So it follows around the Astellas Pro Cycling Team, who started, I believe it was five or six years ago, so like something like 2011, 2012, and basically, yeah, it started as a, a local elite team. They really didn't pay their riders. They they you know, shuttled them around. They took them to the biggest races. Um, it kind of chron- chronicles how they started these races where you know most of the most of the team is getting dropped, 
and I don't want to give too much away, so I guess if you don't want to ruin the book, it's it's not really like a like a story. It is a storyline, but I don't think there's too much to give away. But you know, it chronicles about how over five years the team builds and grows and brings on new sponsors, and how the team managers are able to do that. I believe it was like Matt Curran and Andrew Frey that were the sponsors, or not the sponsors, but the managers of that team, and. Their last year, Acellus had had kind of a crazy good year. They were winning some of the biggest races in the United States. They went overseas and they won a huge UCI race, or at least a you know a pretty pretty important UCI race. Um, so it's kind of cool to see how a team begins and develops in America, right? Not a cycling mecca of the world, and eventually makes it to you know a pretty high level. Pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I'm only a couple chapters into it, mm-hmm. so I don't know exactly how it ends, or really, I probably only read about one third of the book. But okay, so um, it's it's you're still at the beginning. Yeah, maybe it, they kind of start working their way up. It's more of a preview. So I've read they basically go through each year of the team. Yeah, and I've read through kind of the entire beginning of the team. How long have they been around? They were around for, I believe, five years. Okay. So twenty something like 2011 to 2016, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and they had guys come out of that team that are some of the best racers in the U.S. Yeah, they, they won some of the biggest races in the U.S., mm-hmm. and this is a team on a, a very small budget. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Aitchison, mm-hmm. he's a top pro right now. Yep. Iman Lucas. Iman Lucas, We've he's talked racing about in Europe. Him. Really, really interesting book. Uh, check it out. I haven't finished it, so this is more of a preview, but so far, so good. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's all. That's about all we had today. Yeah, doing a shorter episode today. Doing a short we episode. did kind of a longer one last time. Yep. Yeah, so that's what you got. Uh, we're going to try to record our next one next Friday. Yep. All right. You can find us on iTunes and now Stitcher, Bike Race Weekly. You can find us on Facebook at Bike Racing Weekly. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter at Bike Race Weekly. That's right. Send us a tweet. tweet Subscribe us. to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Have a good one then. All right. Bye, everybody. See you guys.